apparent here and now, timeless, encouraging investigation, leading to liberation, to be experienced individually by the wise. So, reflect on this, uh, this, this word Dhamma, the, the refuge in Dhamma. immediacy it's not it's not uh, something you find in the future uh, it's not uh, something you'll find in another place but you have to go to to India or Thailand to find it apparent here and now Santitiko this this immediacy of being awake now, timeless, akaliko. The kali is a word that implies this uh, time-bound condition in the Hindu pantheon, Mother Kali, the the black female of kind of that destroys what she gives birth to. Time. Time is takes away what it what it gives birth to. It consumes. So Akala or Akaliko is uh, timeless. Outside of time. Ehipasiko, encouraging investigation. Ehipasiko is come and see. This sense of, uh, of immediacy. Have a look right now. Don't put it off for next year. Ehi pasiko, opanaiko. Leading to liberation. Opanaikatama is it. When you, when you investigate, go and see, you look, you awaken. It takes you to the realization of liberation. to be experienced individually by the wise. Ajahn Chah used to always say in Thai, it's budgetang, which is, where you take the word budgetang in, in the Thai language, meaning it's, you have to know it for yourself. It's not to be something given to you by a priest or God or any any other external being. That's why when when I keep uh, trying to remind you that 
that an attitude of I'm somebody, uh, I'm the body, I'm somebody who was born and I'm this body and I'm this personality and uh, there's something wrong with it. I have to do something to make it right. Uh, I'll practice meditation and hopefully through practicing meditation hard enough I will become awakened and become enlightened or at least become somebody who uh, I hope will be better than this uh, wretched creature that I am right now. So there's no Dhamma in that way of thinking, is there? That's not Dhamma. That is, that is just self-view. That's the, that's the avicca, the ignorance of the mind. Uh, because it's it's based on I am a condition. I am a man or a woman. I am American. I am good or bad. Or there's always a, the conditioned realm is our identity, and then we are are in kind of stuck into that role. Life then becomes that way for us. Whatever you attach to, whatever identities you fix on, you become like that. You become that way. It's a becoming process. Like if you think you're a hopeless person, you become a hopeless person. If you think you're a woman, then you become a woman. You become whatever you think you are. You become like that. And all that that implies, the different qualities, good and bad. You, there's always this, this, uh, and this, all these conditions are limited, death-bound, unsatisfactory in themselves. It's, as permanent identities, they'll always lead us to a sense of dis discontentment and despair. Eventually, it all takes us to despair. So the becoming process is based on this ignorance. I'm, I have to, I'm, I'm somebody and I have to become. But when we see the Dhamma, then we, we're, we're directly looking at that feeling or that attitude or that thought as anicca dukkanaka, that we're aware of that as an object. I am somebody who has to do something to become something. And then you're seeing the Dhamma of it. The, the I am somebody becomes Dhamma rather than a position we take in life and become somebody.
So that's why the the uh, the refuge in Dhamma is is apparent here and now, timeless. It's that immediate. It's not. Uh, it's not practicing with ignorance right now, as a somebody, as a person, uh, and maintaining that ignorant position. Hopefully, becoming wise in the future. It's impossible. You can't, you can't be ignorant. By identifying with ignorance, you can't become wise. It's just impossible. Ajantara used to often say things like, uh, like we used to have these old, the, on the, uh, after the rainy season retreat, three months Vasa retreats in Thailand, and they have these katina ceremonies, uh, offering of robe, cloth, and requisites to the different monasteries. So uh, there are about, there's so many branch monasteries that Ajahn Chah had established in Thailand that we'd go through, you know, sometimes one right after another, one katina ceremony after another. And then we'd, uh, and you'd sit up all night and monks would be invited to give talks. And so, you know, you'd, you'd hear monks would get up and they'd oftentimes get in in a kind of haranguing modes and and some of the talks were quite you know really uh, well once I can't sometimes we get a, a mic in somebody's hand and put them on a high seat <laughs> and really really be quite a interesting event as far as somebody giving off opinions and Telling you where it's at and what you should do and and all that kind of uh, business. So one day I remember one after one of these katina ceremonies, I went over to where Ajahn Chah was resting and and uh, he said, "Last night I listened to all those talks and I didn't hear any dhamma." So that I thought, they're supposed to be expounding the Dhamma. That's what they're supposed to be doing. The monks asked to expound the Dhamma. And, and then Lung Pa, Ajahn Chah's statement was, I didn't hear any Dhamma. And so this this uh, contemplated and, and just, uh, well, it, it was with a lot of, even with monks or people at practice, there's still so much of the self-view influencing the, uh, the, the way we speak. We often 
give forth opinions or or we we criticize or we kind of tell people what to do uh, intimidate them and so forth it's, and it's very easy for a person in our position people in a in a position of being some kind of priest or holy person, monk or nun, to have a, have a kind of holier-than-thou attitude. Kind of, I'm a monk, let me tell you what to do. I'm celibate and I keep all these precepts that I'm more pure than you are. But Dhamma then is when that's why the encouraging investigation, encourage pe- encouraging you to look at Dhamma, to to contemplate Dhamma rather than to form views and opinions about Buddhism, about yourself. All these views and opinions about uh, Buddhism and, and different like Mahayana and Theravada. And then you, uh, people have, you know, form uh, a prejudice or a biased position about it. And that is, uh, that is not Dhamma, is it? Unless we see that the, the actual opinion is a condition of the mind. And that's why we can, when we listen, uh, say, to our opinions and views. Like one time I remember uh, in, in Thailand having this insight about having opinions about uh, Buddhism because I, uh, I can be very opinionated uh, kind of person. So the, the, uh, I'd, I'd have these very strong feelings Opinions about what is right and what, and who's a good teacher and who isn't and and opinions about Christianity and other religions and so that uh, you know sometimes Western monks would get together and we'd have all these opinions opinionating sessions And then one day I remember I was in, it was in Bangkok even I was I was aware of this that, that how opinionated and how strong their feelings are about certain opinions I have how these opinions would would bring forth very strong kind of emotions where if somebody challenged these opinions I could become quite uh, quite uh, ferocious. I'm like you know these are these opinions were so so strong and emotions when would come would rise up just I could become very heavy about it almost telling well this is the way it is and you better believe me and shut up or implying such kind of uh, emotional state. 
So if contemplating this feeling of, this, of, of having opinion, then I, then I thought I shouldn't have any opinion. I should just kind of be kind of a, a milk toast, kind of bland kind of being that I don't have any opinions at all. All religions are good. They're all equal. Each religion is just as good as the next religion. I'm completely, I wanted to be t- totally tolerant and without any kind of bias. So I just kind of lump it all together in a kind of maudlin lump of tasteless nothing. Everything is all right. All religions are equal. They're all good, all well-meaning. A kind of wimpy uh, kind of tolerance. I listened to that, uh, that kind of tendency to just want to be tolerant rather than biased. Then I say, what is the Dhamma of this? Is Is there any Dhamma in being in just tolerance or in, in, in being biased? And then one feels exasperated. Oh, I anything is so confusing. I don't know what to believe. I don't know what to think. I just want to find somebody to tell me what to think. So, you know, just uh, some teacher, some, some wise sage, some enlightened person. You tell me, and I'll believe you, because I don't want to figure it out. I just can't figure it out. I get confused every time I think about it. But then reflecting on Santitiko Akaliko Ehipasko Panayako Bajatang Dhamma, then the immediacy of it is that all opinions, whether they're strong biases on the left or the right, or this bland uh, kind of uh, tolerance, Kind of lumping it all together and having refusing to form any opinion, and uh, just the uh, wanting somebody else to tell me, you tell me what what's right and what's wrong. I began to see just the projections of my mind. They arise, they cease. They then the, that is seen a dhamma. There is this seeing it as it is. Whether it's right or wrong, uh, you know that at least it's impermanent. And right and wrong are not absolute, are they? It's not. Sometimes you realize there's a time for tolerance. Sometimes it's better to express uh, maybe some form of extreme view. I mean, it's, it's not a fixed view. It's not a position to take. But there are, there are different ways of using our ability to speak and, and perceive things that, that uh, are, say, are skillful means. But there's no fixed position to take. There's no condition that one, say, holds to as a, as a, as a position as, as some, some way to interpret 
everything in every experience in all time and in all places. Because then we, we become very rigid, frightened, narrow-minded, incapable of seeing or appreciating anything that doesn't quite fit into the very rigid view we hold. But everything then is Dhamma. There's a, there's the, we, we transmute just the views, opinions, the self-views, the attachments, the loves, the hates, the fears, the desires, the whole range of conditioned experience by seeing, by putting it in its perspective of what is subject to arising is subject to ceasing. That's why in, in just the, yesterday when I was discussing the way we perceive each other, the, the names and the views we have about each other, we can believe those views as being the real person, or we can see those views as Dhamma, they, they're perceptions we have that arise and cease in our mind. The, the perception I have of you is not, is not really you, is it? It, it? it couldn't be. It is a perception in my mind. And I keep reminding, try to keep reminding myself of that, so that this this is the, it helps to keep me from creating unnecessary problems and, and uh, being carried away by the emotions that arise in regards to when one really believes one's views and opinions, how strong one's feelings can get. When I was in the military, there was some very unpleasant experience, uh, uh, which I thought I was being treated very unfairly. And I was very embittered by it. I felt very resentful and angry and indignant. And I felt there's strong desires to kill the people, or at least to seek revenge. I'd very strong feelings of wanting to take revenge on them. I used to have these fantasies about pursuing them in some kind of demonic way and, 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 and torturing them till they, till they cracked up and went crazy, had breakdown. Because I was so angry and indignant. Every time the, the perception of these people came into my mind, I'd feel this incredible anger and rage rise up in my mind. And then these, these horrendous fantasies of, of seeking vengeance would come in. And even after years had passed, you know, years went by and they, and they uh, you know, it was pretty much dropped the subject, didn't really pursue it in any active form, and just let it go. But whenever those, those images, those perceptions of those people came in, through memory, 
I get these strong feelings again. Even after 20 years or so, I just... <laughs> I still can get this, the, just the perception of that, of, of that, uh, of those several people would bring up this, this rage and this desire to, to get even with them. Of course, I'm not a really a vengeful person. I don't, I don't, I'm not, I don't, that kind of activity, I don't think I've ever really followed, even though I've certainly felt it, that <coughs> I, I know better than to, to act on it. But what was, what was oftentimes surprising to me was how strong that emotion could be, even years later, just by thinking about those people that, uh, for, and, and, uh, for very, very long, I'd suddenly feel just as enraged as I felt at the time. This kind of emotion just was, was just so strong over this perception. And then seeing the Dhamma of it began to, began to uh, reflect on the, on the fact that it's only a perception. And when I attach, when I indulge in that perception, then the result is I get caught up into this rage. This rage takes over. These strong feelings take over. But contemplating it determining to look at it as Dhamma rather than as self, then it, beca- it began to take its proper place in my mind as a, as a memory, as a perception, rather than being a real person who did me wrong. And so that, that way the, the kind of power of that perception was uh, was demolished because the the perception when you see it for uh, as it is it doesn't the the emotions don't uh, don't arise because you don't you don't you're no longer believing that the perception is somebody real it's it's merely like a shadow a phantom in the mind. No, that's not a dismissal either. It's not just saying it's only impermanent. And the attitude isn't one of, of it's only that and, and uh, a kind of dismissing uh, of things. Because uh, it's like letting go and all these, these, these means we use to investigate truth can end up just being ways of suppressing your feelings or dismissing things and still coming from the self-view. Oh, don't be silly, you know, just perception in your mind. Don't be such an idiot. Just watch your mind. Don't get caught up in your feelings. The kind of meaning, uh, I'm somebody who 
you're still coming from the view of I'm somebody who's who's making a lot about nothing. And out of a molehill, that's me. Uh, so that that is a if you if you see the dumb of that, the view of yourself as being somebody who uh, kind of makes a lot of problems about life. Uh, if you believe that, then you become someone who is that way all the time. You become someone who's always thinking, oh, I shouldn't really care about that. I should let that go and, and not carry that around. That was a long time ago. Uh, I shouldn't be someone who's really carrying this grudge and, and uh, just let go and don't be so stupid. Snap out of it. <laughs> but it's still based on the, on the wrong view, isn't it? I, I shouldn't feel this way. And I'd, I'm stupid for feeling this way. I should know better. And uh, it's still, that's still not dhamma, isn't it? It's impermanent, anicca dukkanata, nothing. <laughs> and it's dismissal, isn't it? It's just, I don't want to be bothered with this. I just kind of turn my head the other way and, and, uh, and just not give it any attention. So that is why it's so important to really observe the, and know that sense of, of I am. Uh, not to, to, to take the view you shouldn't you shouldn't have an ego, or you shouldn't think in terms of I am, or you shouldn't be selfish, because those are ideals. Uh, but they aren't dhamma until we see that even the ideal is for what it is. It's the ideal is, it may be a very good ideal, but ideals are also impermanent. The, the very thought of, of I should be a totally unselfish being is, is a thought that arises and ceases in the mind. So there's always this immediacy, the here and now. Uh, in, uh, come and see, look now, see it now. Encouraging investigation. Dhamma is to be investigated, looked at. Examined. Now, in consciousness, the ability to be conscious say, is uh, when we allow ourselves to be really conscious through mindfulness, wisdom, then, then there is the uh, end of suffering. So that's why we allow subconscious or suppressed things that have been suppressed out of consciousness into consciousness in order to see it as the Dhamma 
rather than as self. So a lot of fear, for example, or or uh, bad memories, or anger, repressed anger, whatever, is then they in meditation allowed into consciousness. But instead of interpreting it from the ignorant view of its mind, there is this direct witnessing of it as as that which has arisen and the willingness to accept it for what it is. And then it ceases. What arises ceases. So that this is a liberation of the mind. It's a way of liberating and purifying the, the heart and mind. So if, if you're caught in ideals alone of how you should be, the, 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 the kind of archetype of human perfection, uh, and then you, then, you have a la- then you suddenly feel angry or mean-hearted or jealous, some kind of inferior mental state arises, and then you feel hopeless because you... you're you're so inferior to the ideal that you have. The condition itself is so obviously inferior to the ideal that that you're very attached to. You want to be really a non-selfish, loving person. And then you find yourself feeling really mean-hearted and selfish and and, uh, and, uh, uncaring about others that kind of mood arises, then you you can only feel a, a sense of despair at what a kind of awful, horrible person you are, because you're so far removed from the ideal, isn't it? You're so inferior. The, the feeling of selfishness and mean-heartedness is so far removed from the ideal you may subscribe to. So you can only feel uh, like a hopeless case. And that's all based on I am, the ideal itself. I should be like that. And then, of course, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be feeling the way I do. Where when we, when we see the Dhamma of this, then there is a rec- the ideal is, is not anything we, we uh, we're not, sh- I'm not saying we shouldn't have ideals. But we know ideals are ideals. They're not self anymore. We know how to use ideals. Ideals are, are something that we cherish and, and something to, to uh, respect, but not attach to, not identify with, not compare the flow of life always with the ideal, because then your the perfectionist mind will only be caught up in, uh, in feeling uh, somehow frustrated continuously by the fact that, that, not, that everything seems to be wrong and, and nothing seems to be ideal. So in, uh, in Dhamma then, it's an ideal, I should, be, I should be an unselfish, loving person, giving myself to the society, serving the society in an unselfish way. 
It's a very beautiful ideal. And then suddenly uh, some something comes in up and, and you start feeling angry and petty and, and uh, mean-hearted about something. And then you, you realize that also is impermanent. But it's, in, it's not being compared with the ideal, but seeing no longer taken from the view of me and mine, but as merely the way it is at this moment. This feeling of mean-heartedness is this way. It has arisen. You're allowing it to be conscious. In your, 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 you're accepting it in consciousness. feeling mean-hearted is like this. And then it ceases. And then consciousness is still there when it's, when they're, they're still conscious of it when it's there and when it's absent. So there's consciousness, uh, uh, conscious awareness of, it, of the presence of a condition and its absence. And so more and more you're you're aware of the absence of greed, hatred, and delusion. Because then, you're, then you, you begin to understand how to live your life. How to live in a way that is, is not... You, you know, you know directly, you realize non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion. It's no longer an ideal about how you shouldn't feel greed, hatred, and delusion. And then when you do feel greedy, you feel, oh, here I go again, here I'm being greedy and I shouldn't be. And you just, that just is despairing because there's no way out of that. It just goes in circles. You get confused by it and you just get whirled around by that. So the, the Dhamma is not, is, is apparent here and now. So the, the, the high-minded ideal, the shoulds of life, what we all should be, what we should strive for, what we should aim at, what we should become, uh, the, the lovely possibilities of human realization and experience are not to be dismissed as just, as just a Nietzsche Dukkanata and, and a kind of... Uh, annihilation of ideals, but ideals are then dhammas that we can appreciate without being attached to it. Without, and then when the realities of, or the, the way things are in the moment, the, the nitty-gritty of life, the resultant karma, the, the feelings of anger and rage and despair and all that, that we may be feeling in the moment are then seen as dhammas also rather than as self. That's why with the with the uh, sound of silence, it helps to kind of center one, bring one's attention to here and now. 
because that's what that's what I'm hearing right now. Neutral. It doesn't doesn't arouse any emotion whatsoever. Then the the any kind of things that arise conditions that come in consciousness. See, uh, uh, that are that are based on a self view. Can be seen as as what arises ceases. I used to have a practice years ago in Thailand where I'd sit and I'd I'd contemplate the spaces between the monks. Because the the faces and the names of the monks were so, gave such strong feeling. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd give such importance to the to the perception. This monk, that monk. This monk I like, that monk annoys me. That's a good monk. That's a serious monk. That's just one of those monks that ordains following a tradition, not very serious and probably disrobe. That monk uh, over there, he's, he has very annoying habits. Makes a lot of noise when he eats his food. Monk over there has a terrible skin rash that I find very repulsive. That monk over there, he doesn't bathe enough and stinks. But that monk, uh, the, that monk said, you know, he's really, he's my friend. He and I have, I, we have, we have a special affinity with each other. We feel this kind of heart-to-heart sense. Or something, you know, it must have been friends in previous lives or something. There's something really, something electrifying there between us. But that monk, God, over there, <laughs> what is that? Uh, it, because the faces and forms and perceptions. Or have these strong bring up these uh, Im- reactions? You know, we can we can believe it all. We can make, give it so so much importance, and we just go from one person to the next, and not not ever see the space between these monks. Now, the space between people is not interesting at all. Not like a person, and where you have a face, and and they are attractive or not, or they have interesting features, or they're men and women, or they're young and old, or the kind of qualities that that you can take an interest in. But space is 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 not interesting. 
Our faces are, are very important, aren't we? we? We really identify so strongly with our face. something happens to the face, it's really a scar or a rash, pimple, boil. Great tragedy, isn't it? So we, we, uh, we lose it as we get older, and all these wrinkles and sagging flesh and that. <laughs> it's not a bit of a shock to look in the mirror these days. the perception of yourself that you formed when you were young and, and then what you're looking at you're not seeing that perception you're seeing something else and it's amazing though how you can put the perce- impose a perception on the wrinkles on the mirror <laughs> we've got incredible abilities to deceive ourselves <laughs> Mindfulness is the path to the deathless, then is this contemplate this consciousness. Don't take it for granted that you're, you're really conscious. People are quite, n- are not very conscious actually. They're caught up in, uh, in, uh, in all kinds of, of uh, delusions that uh, that they, they're not really aware of very much. They tend to be uh, so influenced by their fears and desires that the actual uh, direct flow of life and the way things are is, is uh, not noticed, not appreciated. A crazy person, someone that's mad, is living in a world totally projected, uh, totally out of touch with Dhamma. There's nothing, the world is so, such a kind of uh, deluded projection that it it has no no relationship to the way anything really is. So that's why we bring ourselves back to the, the here and now Santitiko, Akaliko, Ehipasiko, Upanaiko, Bajjatang, Vaitidapo, we knew him. 